welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, joined by the regular rugby crew. We're back together. The trio's back. We've got Westy and new father, Sam. Sam, has your life changed? Do you have a new, uh, what do you call it, um, outlook on life? I thought you were talking, what do you call it, daughter? Uh, <laughs> maybe one of those things, little people. Small uh, human. Puppies. Uh, oh, she's, she's been a... Outside of that Leinster game last week, she's been a good luck charm. Liverpool won away in Old Trafford. Connacht won away in Toman. Like, what more can you ask for for your first week of life? Yeah, but you don't want to. You don't want to set a false, oh, you know, reality. Know, yeah, <laughs> as a Connacht it's, fan, it's going to be rough out there. Her first day of life, we got hammered by Leinster, so you know she, she she's seen the reality. She was in hospital. You see, she wasn't around for that. So it's uh, it's only since she came home that the good luck has started to. Come come over all the teams that I support, and you know, Canes are winning, Liverpool are winning, Connacht are winning. It's all happening now. The Ash is alive, so yeah, yeah it, it's it is weird when the Canes are winning. That's know, you know yeah. something's up. <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. Yeah, it's it's good crack, and she's a uh, she's keeping me very honest. Like I, I think I'm kind of I'm like oh yeah, settle down now, watch the rugby, and then it just kind of starts starts moving and shaking over here, and I have to t- draw my eyes away. So. My uh, my, what happened might not be exactly on point as as usually is today. But I've only watched the Connacht game the twice, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Westy, how is life as not a father? Pretty good. I've had the Connacht game on repeat since Friday, so uh, you know, yeah, pretty much perfect. Yeah, you know. Joe's greatest. I did what I want, Westy. How great was that, huh? How... Joe's great about the weekend being selfish. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I slept too well last night. I would say I slept too well. I was over rested. Do you know what I mean? That's it's tough out there though. You know I'll, I'll battle on. I haven't had anybody else's piss and shit on me at all all week. Have <laughs> Which you? Which is strange any, for you, Wesley. You had a date on Friday night, so I know that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley's into some freaky shit. Uh, no. no comment. No comment. Yes. <laughs> but yes. But we have we do have rugby to talk about, not piss and shit. Um. We have a Connacht win, lads and ladies and gentlemen. Guess who's back this week? The Rainbow Cup as the best competition ever. Woo! Let's do it. Can I just can I just say quickly, like I, I've given the Rainbow Cup a little bit of flack. Uh, it's it's not obviously anyone's dream growing up to win the Rainbow Cup. Neither was it anyone's dream. Speak for it. yourself. It was never it was never anyone's dream to win the Pro 14 growing up because they just invented that a couple of years ago as well. Uh, but one thing I think is like. The more people say it's not a great competition, the worse it's going to get. Like, it's the only rugby that's on. This time last year, we were given out because we were watching rugby bio or like gold gold rugby on air sport and there was nothing on. We might as well embrace it, especially now the Connacht are back winning. I'm all in, all in again. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to get this take if Connacht were zero from three uh, from the first three games, but no, I'll, but I'll, d- I'll take your word for but it. I do, I do think that, like, it's just. We had no rugby on last year. We we were doing podcast reviews on 2003 like three World Cup final, and this year we have live rugby, and people are going, "I'd say pack it in now, yeah, and just rest up for the summer." Like, no, it's live rugby. It's there. It's the provinces you support. You might as well get behind it. Sure, like no one knows what's going on. It's it's something to watch anyway, and it's actually been the most exciting tournament out of any of the club rugby we've had in the last few years. Yeah, there is some some, some great games and. There was, I remember talk about, oh, will the Interpros be the same in, in this competition? But they've all had serious bite to them. There's always been a, a bit of a, there's been a, a bust up nearly in every game. But we'll start with the Munster-Connacht game, obviously. A, a very rare win for Connacht in Toman, coming out on top 24 points to 20. That's the second win since 86, I think, was the year that they threw out there. Um, and yeah, a real bite in this game, which is, as Connacht fans, we have been asking this from the team, Westy. We kind of wanted that bit of, 
you know, being a bit of a bastard, which we've complimented Munster on before, and we actually saw that from this Connick team this weekend, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. I think there's definitely a built-up frustration uh, in Connacht kind of from the years. You know, like this is about our fourth time probably in the last 12 months playing Munster. First one, we got a couple of red cards and it was just a bit of a, a bit of a bad day for everyone involved. And then the other two kind of games we've had against them this year have been pretty close. You know, we've kind of been there, thereabouts for most of it. You know, bad decision on, on a scrum at the end of the game in the sports ground and we lose it. Um, kind of an unfortunate day down in Thoman. Again, we were very close to taking it. So I think this one was probably the one that got at them the most um, in terms of something that we'd left behind during the season, a fixture that we definitely had the opportunity to win. Um, and I think, I, think, I think we're good for that. I think a lot of the Interpros comics seem to always do have a little bit of bite and us, a little bit of fight. But I don't know, man. I, I'm sorry, I'm a forward. I'm a bit old school. I, f- I fucking love the niggle. I love the in-your-face. Even Marmion threw the ball at, uh, at Haley. I was like, fucking hell, do it. Like, go on. Even though that was stupid, like I don't condone it, but your party was like, "Yeah, get fucking get into him," like, and I mean, yeah, well, like that's what we've been looking for, so we can't really yeah. criticize it then when it happens. <laughs> that's just not very I'm not fair. No, I love it. Like, yeah, I know. I was saying as 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 kind of fans or in general, like, yeah, we'll talk about that incident. I was going to bring it up later on, but people are kind of you know going mad over it on Twitter. I I tweeted like you know Marmion should have done it a hundred percent, but there's been a pattern of players and. The player that I love the most uh, down in uh, the Hurricane Territories, uh, Dan, Dan Coles, is a master of it. Is it's sliding in on the knees when like the the ball was pretty much already down the ground and Healy Healy isn't gonna he's not trying to hurt him and he doesn't doesn't really hurt him. But why like why you're never it's such an unnatural movement to make when you're trying to in, no one tackles like that <laughs> like in in an actual game situation. So it was stupid for Marmion. You know, luckily he didn't get any further punishment for it. But at the same time. They need to stop this sliding because someone will get badly hurt uh, at some stage. But um, you've already mentioned Marmion, Westy, uh, Sam. We saw some monster performances, Marmion included. We saw as well some big performances in the pack. Niall Murray uh, and Keen Brennagast, who we've, we, we were told by Paul Boyle how good this guy is. That in the first training session up, they kind of the senior players took notice of him. Uh, and we saw, you know, for, from them two lads, monster performances. Yeah, there was a brilliant, especially the, the two of them being 21. Uh, Niall Murray also said in the podcast you were doing with him there a couple of weeks ago, uh, you had him you had him on, He you kind of asked him about players coming up through the academy, who to look out for, and he name-checked Keane Prendergast as well. So you must be doing something right in training that this Paul Boyle and Niall Murray both name-checked him and both wanted us to be aware of him. We've seen him in kind of fits and starts this season. He's been very, very good, probably stand out for the Eagles in the two games I've watched, you know, like head and shoulders above the rest of them including the other senior pros that are in that Eagles team. And any game we've seen of him, uh, like that Racing game, he's really made, you know, made an impact. I think what I liked about him was he, he might not necessarily made the first up tackle once or twice, but he always made the tackle eventually. He was bounced off and like recovered, made the tackle. He looks like he can run in that sh- like kind of short, uh, built up sort of uh, busy area around the ruck. And so does Niall Murray as well. He looks like he's a bit of a dancer on his feet as well. So, the two lads, uh, they were two two absolutely exceptional ones. But I actually genuinely, it sounds really cliche to say after a win, but I think that every man to the, to the 23 had a really, really important part to play in that game. Uh, it was unfortunate that uh, McAllister and Robson McCoy were both taken off. I understand what Friend did. It was a brilliant bit of changing it up so that we didn't get a yellow concede a penalty, uh, concede a try off a mall and end up going into the sheds at halftime a man down and behind on the score. 
because those two players weren't actually that bad in open play. It was just the scrum was being dominated and something needed to be done. And what an answer he got when he made that substitution. So every single one of the 23 had the right attitude. Like you said, with Mario, I mean, stood up, fought, really stepped to it. And it was something I was really impressed with because, you know, Connick teams have lost before they've even gotten on the bus going down to home and time in time, time again. And I said the last time we played them where we were really close, I was like, that's the right attitude. And I think we're nearly there. And I was actually quite positive about it. And you would sort of said you, we were sick of being the nearly men. And I, I kind of went, I think the nearly men means that you're nearly there and we will get that over the hump. And I, I think they went down there with that attitude. They said, you know, we've been so close a few times. We're just not going to back down. And they really stepped up. I was so impressed with everyone. Yeah, hundred percent. We saw Westy, you know, Marmion had a great game and that has to be coming from obviously the competition of that place with Blade. You know, they're pushing each other on. We saw Connor Fitz had a, you know, in his major upside as well that game. I've been kind of critical of him in the past, but he was fantastic, looked very at ease. And, you know, Tom Daly as well. We have to talk about him and his first appearance as captain. He showed real maturity, didn't he? Yeah, I think I think that's where it starts really in a fixture like that. That's so so gritty and you know it's, it's a fixture right where the referee struggled to keep control of it at a lot of points i think that's where it helps to have a really level-headed captain um you know tom Daly's not necessarily that old he's still pretty young first time out captain of the team and you would have sworn he'd been captain all season you would have sworn that you know he was at least a co-captain or a member of that leadership group i'm sure he probably is um but yeah i think that leadership is is really effective and again it's coming from someone it couldn't be more deserved the man's again. I don't have the actual statistics in front of me, but he's he's probably played more minutes for Connacht this season than anybody else. Nineteen starts. I I read this morning. Yeah. So I mean, there you go. I mean, on a team like Connacht that does have a lot of injuries, it's fantastic to have someone like Tom, who is able to play week in week out, who's able to lead, who's you know doesn't really seem to give an inch week in week out either. He's a really physical, commanding presence on the pitch, and I think that shows. I think one of the areas that probably showed the most was in the defence from Connacht. There was so many times we actually held Munster out in positions where they would have scored normally. Even our mole defense was better. I just think our attitude when we didn't have the ball was so much stronger. I think that's probably a statistic that rings true. If you look back over the big games that we have won, you know, when we do control ourselves in defense, when we do kind of um, tighten up, you know, uh, let's say inside our own kind of 22 meter line and start playing a bit smarter and stop giving away stupid penalties and picking our moments to go for that turnover ball, that's when we really hurt teams. And I think especially with a team like Munster, who are so good at that jackal threat and so good at the breakdown, to get a leg up in that battle was so important to win. Exactly. The, the line speed was incredible from start to finish as well. Um, the big talking point that's been kind of going around on Twitter was the you know Big Papa and Jack O'Donoghue kind of small scrap. But like Jack O'Donoghue was acting like an arsehole and he got treated like an arsehole. He was doing his best Dev Toner impression there falling through the ruck and grabbing onto legs and Big Papa just pushed him off and he got up and wasn't happy about it. Sam, is it fair to say that Connick played Munster at their own game here? They made it into a scrap. They made it into a sloppy kind of game, which is what Munster do to teams and Munster didn't like it. Yeah, I think it was really kind of, it was quite sh- telling that uh, I think Munster, like I said earlier, Connick had lost before they've been on the bus down to Tome a few times. I think Munster have that attitude when Connick come to town as well. They go, ah, you know, they might put a scrap up to us, but in the end, like what nearly happened, we'll drive down and we'll get a last minute winner or they'll mess up something, you know. They, they don't have the balls to kind of see it out or whatever. And when they were being stepped to, when the subs were jumping in from both sides, it happened both ways. You can't blame the Connick subs because the Munster subs were doing it the next time. Like when, when that, when push came to shove, I think Munster were a bit taken aback by the fact that Connick stood up for themselves and the fact that we kind of 
gave them that little bite back and th- there was a bit of niggle and you know like Damien Dialande had Tom Daly marking him and he was he was not giving him an inch and that that sort of stuff all added up so that came probably from frustration by Jack O'Donoghue who he will know himself that that was a silly silly thing to do and he cost his team potentially the win but the try that was there it was the ball was down and they went back to it I was watching it going Jesus sign him up for the Galway Warriors because that was an O-line block if ever I saw one he pushed me man right out of the way at a running back but watching it was surreal you're like he can't do that's not allowed <laughs> like it was so strange but then yeah so but what happened was it was he was ha- hanging on to him much like CJ Stander was hanging on to Owen uh, or Owen Farrell was hanging on to CJ Stander before it was like he was hanging on to his leg big pop but there's a word being thrown around on Twitter slap I didn't see a slap I saw him trying to shrug him off I saw him pushing him a little bit if it was a slap it was the tamest slap ever <laughs> if you got slapped if you by, big, slap by big pop you know, know about it like, but uh, yeah uh, and then he decided to get up and shove him and you know for his own sake, I'm glad that Big Papa didn't react. Uh, and for Connick's sake, I'm really glad that he did because it cost him a try. That try would have been scored if he hadn't have done that. You know, that that was a, a steamrolling run and he was just unfortunately silly, silly error in judgment. Can't really blame him. We've praised Jack O'Donoghue this season a lot. Like he's a great player. You know, they're, they're all very good players, but I think Munster were taken aback by Connick standing up for themselves. And I think that it's kind of like the little brother finally, you know, giving a dig back to the older brother. I don't think that they liked it too much. And, you know, there was a, few of the heads went and the ill-discipline cost them in the end and that was the only thing that cost them if they want to blame anything else they can if they want but I really just think that the ill-discipline the decision making and a lack of execution were what cost uh, Munster in the end of that game yeah I totally agree that whatever you said there Sam and Westy we have seen Munster players come out Munster fans have come out since and a lot of them kind of blaming the referee and we saw CJ Stander come out and criticise the referee after the game saying that he's 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 on the way out soon so he can do it his quote uh, though, but, just so when he said his quote was uh, it was seemed like we were playing against more than 15 and I was kind of laughing to myself I was like yeah you were you played against a really good 23 and that's what won <laughs> us the game our bench made a huge impact and won that game yeah and then Omani was also kind of talking to the referee constantly afterwards as well. What what did you think, Westy, of the refereeing performance? Look, uh, we've kind of said it before. Like, I, I don't think the overall standard of refereeing in the league is kind of as near as high as it should be. Um, there does seem to be a bit of inconsistency there. Like, but I, I, I do honestly think, I think, you know, most of the time with poor refereeing decisions, it tends to come down either way. Sorry, sorry, it tends to come down kind of a balance on each side. You can't really say that one team necessarily is getting drastically favoured. Um, it, it does happen every now and again. Now you do see odd decisions made. But I think, as Sam said, it was Munster's ill-discipline that got them. Like, Peter Mahoney gave up talking to the ref halfway through the game. And you're kind of like, well, that's not going to help. Like, you know, if you're getting fed up with the ref, then, you know, you, you have to adjust your behaviour to deal with ref. That's not how... And I'm surprised at that because I think Peter Manning's a fantastic captain. I, I was surprised that he wasn't Ireland captain five years ago. Um, I think as a leader, as one of the senior men on that team, you have to be better than that. It's it, it's not about be. It's a great thing that actually, I'll paraphrase something that Ronan O'Gara said, like Ronan O'Gara said about coaching, that if his players aren't getting the message, he's doing something wrong. He's not teaching them right. And it's the same thing with the ref. If, if you feel a ref is turning against you, you're not behaving right towards him. You have to adjust your behavior. These teams do, they, they research the ref as much as they research the opposition. They should have been fully aware how the game was going to be ref, and they should have adapted when they started to lose it. You're never going to change a ref's mind by constantly showering the same thing at him when he's telling you to be quiet and let him tell you his decision. So I, I think Peter Mahoney, to, to a certain degree, 
I don't want to say let himself down, but he knows far better than that. He kind of probably let the, as you guys said, that, you know, Connacht kind of played them at their own game. He kind of let Connacht get under his skin, and that nearly affected their relationship with the ref. It probably made it more difficult for them to get their point across. Now, again, I don't think the ref was overly biased. I think a lot of stuff, I think there was all decisions on both sides. And I do think that we had a Limerick TMO who almost tried to take the game from Connacht at the end. But, yeah, uh, she was, that was, <laughs> I was like, what? No, shut up. Um, I do think that like the, the overall ref standard isn't great, but I don't think it's you know bias or against one team. I think you have to behave better with a ref if you're going to start giving out about refing decisions. But it, it's quite telling that the Pro 14 had one refing representative at the last World Cup, and that was Nigel Owens. He's retired now. You know, we see Frankie Murphy the o- occasional time being a touch judge at, in Big Six Nations games. I think that you know there is there is definitely a weaker standard of refing in the Pro 14. It's one of the downfalls of the league, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast. But I think it's extremely telling because it's it's regularly something we talk about in this podcast of how the ref wasn't biased, but how he was poor and didn't have control of the game and didn't at the weekend as well. But there was only one pundit before this week talking about it because it was happening quite significantly to Connacht for the last few months and years. And that was Bernard Jackman. And he was talking about it nonstop, saying that the refing was poor and no one ever had an issue with it. And then the second it affects another team and the second it negatively affects another team, it's all over front headline news and like off the ball are doing specials on it. And I think it's kind of quite telling that like we've been shouting this out for months uh, about the standard of refing and how it negatively affects us and both teams and just the standard of the games we're watching because it's poor refereeing. Refs don't seem to talk to their touch judges at all. Uh, touch judges don't seem to interject at all. And it's quite unfortunate, uh, but I don't watching back on the game. And, you know, Alan Quinlan can tell me to watch back on the game all he wants on the off the ball. I did. And I still didn't see it being biased. I thought it was poor lack of control, but there was no bias to it. The one questionable decision for the crossfield kick was questionable enough that I can give it the ref probably like whatever happened, the TMO decision was made. Uh, it's not blatantly wrong the way everyone seems to be making out the way it was. And other than that, the offside line was ref the same by both. Both teams lived offside in that game. And if the ref is allowing you to do it, you do it. And Munster were just as guilty of it, but their defense wasn't as you know determined or wasn't as aggressive as ours was. So it looked worse from our point, but... They can watch it back all they want. It's it's it was a poor referee in display, but it wasn't a biased referee in display at all. Yeah, exactly. And I look personally, I think it's fantastic that we're talking about Connacht being cynical in areas. Like that's what we've been crying out for. Like the best teams are cynical. We've mentioned before about Leinster; they get away with so much. Maro Otoje lives on the offside line is what makes him such a great player. And this year he got called for it, and everyone was saying it was a poor year for him. Like that's the differences. And if Connacht are like that, then I'm all for it, so it's brilliant. But well, enough about that. Look at the table here, lads. Connacht sit kind of mid table at the moment, but they are on nine points. Uh, they have two remaining games. One is Benetton and Ospreys, I believe. Yeah. Uh, who are both Benetton sit currently top of the table on fourteen points, uh, and then Ospreys sit third currently on ten points. But Westy, two teams very much in contention, but two very winnable games for Connacht. Yeah, I think. Definitely Wilma games, and I think we kind of have to look at them both. They're kind of both mirror images of each other, really. So you've got Benetton, who will have the, the win that they're back now. They've got off to a really good start. Um, they will also be pretty annoyed that we stole a game from the death of them um, in Italy earlier during the year. And then hopefully you'll have the counter then for Ospreys. We should be pretty annoyed that we lost a game that we really should have won against them back in the sports ground a couple of months back. So, um, again, the, the worrying thing for Connacht and you know, it, it goes beyond an anecdote at this stage. We don't seem to follow up big performances. I mean, we, we do tend to lose after we win, especially when it's a close victory. Um, 
So you would hope now that this is again, we've said it before, but there's another point in the season where we need to change that narrative now. We need to kind of, we need to take, I think, it's, is, it, is it this weekend or is it next weekend? Next weekend. Yeah, the European rugby's on this weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have a bit, a bit of time off to compose ourselves. Probably be, we'll probably see a decent amount of rotation in, in the squad again. I think Friendy is looking at this competition the right way in that although we want to get victories, we do want to keep doing what we've been doing all season and build the depth in our squad. You know, maybe give lads like Prendo and Murray more time to develop and grow. Um, Prendo? When do Prendo. we start calling him Prendo? Prendo Friendo, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I know you're on a Prendo basis with him. I'm on a Prendo Sorry. basis with him now. You know, I've decided that your, that's what we're calling is, him now. Is he your Irish Shannon Frizzell? Is he your mate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh I God. walked past him on Shop Street once. We're best friends. Uh, I've never heard anyone call him Prendo. Did you just make that up? Or I think so. That I, I didn't even realize I said it. <laughs> we'll have to tweet him, ask him, has anyone ever called him Prendo? Because that's fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. Um, what was the question? Yeah, no, they're two, two winnable games, but two tough games, two games we can't really afford to underestimate either, right? We need to go into them with level heads. We need to go into them seriously. Um, and look, it... it, it it could be a it could be a very interesting competition if we win them both. Thankfully for Connacht fans, it is an away game, so that's good because at home Connacht have lost I think unofficially twenty games in a row. But um, you know that's fantastic that that's away game. But yeah, I totally agree. It's there for the taking. Why not go for it at this stage? You know why not? It's We've got a few questions. Though, sorry, just an unfortunate. Much like the the actual Pro Twelve this season, that it's just a one off final. Whereas like you know, it looks like. Munster could probably get it or Leinster or Benetton like we could win our next two games and not be in a playoff which that's kind of an unfortunate way of doing the whole format uh, and it's kind of it, it's it's grown out of unfortunately like a revised format a revised format right revised format but for me it'd be nice to be playing towards something like if, if we don't get a bonus point against Benetton that's us out we can't get first so that's us out of it uh, and I'd like to see like a playoffs, you know, a couple of games or whatever, just to give us a few more games. I'm sure the players won't appreciate that, but sure, what can you do? Yeah, if I was a player now, I'd be like, especially like uh, Ulster there who've lost all three games, I'd be like, get me to the fucking beach quick. But whatever. Uh, we've we asked for a few questions on Twitter. Uh, we got a few in all about Connacht, obviously. So there's no point in waiting until later on. Uh, first one is from Fionn, who's actually changed his name, I only realise now on Twitter, to Fionn Rainbow Cup is great. So Fionn, thank you very much for realising now that it's great. But be prepared to change that in two weeks' time. Um, he has said, any guesses slash wishes on the replacement for Quinn uh, Rue? Uh, we haven't heard really of, there's nothing has been kind of said on the names but I think we all agree we want apparently the budget is there for you know a player of Quinru's standard so I think we're all hoping for uh, an, an NIQ that's a big second row that can really help out in the mall Westy isn't it? Yeah I, I think I mean I, I might even take Tony Ryan at this stage really to be honest with you um, Friendly was job. asked about him on the press conference during the week and he's still in contract so Oh, okay. It's obviously something they thought about, but it's no go. Um, yeah, I mean, as um, I, if if there was an Irish, I mean, I hope we don't get Devon Toner. <laughs> um, but if there was a if there was an Irish qualified lock out there with a good level of experience, I'd be open to it. But as I said before, I think the key for us now is to bring in an already established player, someone who may, you know maybe has a bit of international experience, but at least has a experience at kind of high level competition. I can't think of anybody 
at the, off the top of my head who's kind of out of contract, but you know, you'd love kind of maybe the likes of a Johnny Gray or, um, you know, somebody who's just kind of in and around just falling out of maybe rotation for now. And I think Johnny Gray's actually come back into the Scotland squad, but somebody at that level who maybe he was like a year or two ago when he's playing in the Premiership where has has international experience, has played around a little bit, has experience in different leagues and has high, you know, high intensity competition experience. Yeah, Sam, you are someone sends you a player that you can't pronounce. Yeah, from, I, have, uh, I have Georgia. A, I have a Georgian, a Georgian one. Uh, Dave O'Connor sent me this on Twitter. It's just a uh, Constantine Mikaudze. I'm going to pronounce it, but that that might be pronounced very wrong. Yeah, he's. I uh, imagine it is. I imagine got, it is. He's got about sixty caps for Georgia. He's 130 kilos. He's not even 30 yet. He plays for Montpellier. He's been there four years. Came from Toulon. Uh, sounds the right job. I think, like Westy said, getting someone, doesn't matter, Irish qualified, non-Irish qualified, whoever's available. The biggest thing for me isn't just that they're a seamless fit. You know, I, you want a starter. You want someone that can come in and help sure up them all. But you have Prendergast, who can potentially be a second row. You have Murray. You have Delan. You have loads of young players coming around. So I want someone that can help bring them up. We, we, when we spoke to Niall Murray, we spoke to him about players and Quinn Rue in particular. And he was singing Quinn Rue's praises in terms of like, kind of coaching from a position of being more experienced and knowing the game and that side of things. And that's what you want to be replacing them with. You want someone replacing them with experience, but also who will help bring through these young lads because we have a raft of unbelievable youth players and we really want to harness that. And like, you look at this, the team we put out at the weekend, uh, yeah, Murray, Prendergast, uh, O'Brien in the center, Fitzgerald, like that's a good young basis of a team. And you want to keep harnessing that and keep kind of, pushing that through so the player that i think we get needs to be that type of player and i know friendy's big on attitude so you want someone that's willing to come in and help as well as willing to come in and play exactly we again we haven't really heard much but if we do ever hear anything we will be sure to let everybody know on twitter um next question comes in from mark Gurley, who asks a nice tongue-in-cheek question but uh which salty monster fan slash pundits embarrassing response to, to the defeat did you most find uh, enjoyable um, it it was tasty, wasn't it? Those tears, they were just so tasty. Oh man, they were so upset. Uh, we're not going to name names, but like I, I, Sam keeps listening to Off the Ball to punish himself. For I don't, I don't know why I do I've it. I've told you not to do it, but you I still keep, listen. I hate it. I can't. Alan I, Quillen was upset. He was upset. They did a special on it, and what he did was he tried to come across as very like you know impartial pundit by saying take nothing away from Connacht and then gave a big spiel about how you take it all away from Connacht. And it was like, it was constant throughout the whole time. And he was like, then he kept being really condescending and telling everyone to watch it back and make sure you watch it back. And if you do, you'll see. And I did watch it back because that's what I do whenever Connacht win. I watch it back two or three times. And uh, no, I, I, I thought that it was a very weird couple of weeks for the Irish media. The players not making the Lions, the Queen Rue, like leaving Connacht and the, the, the one comment about that and then this kind of like disdain for the refereeing and not really much praise being leveled towards kind of great display, good aggression, good game plan, uh, all of those sort of things. I thought it was just kind of a little bit embarrassing and we do give out about refs on this show all the time, but we're fan media and I'm going to say that, that we're passionate fans and I can understand passionate fans being annoyed. I can also kind of get a bit sick of it when it goes on to 12 tweet threads about how bad it was and that that's another story. But 
don't be going on national radio and talking about it as and trying to pretend you're impartial because you're not because it was clearly obvious you weren't and i'm never going to pretend to be impartial because that would be silly like i'm i'm not impartial i'm never going yeah, to come no, across. no one would believe you no one would ever believe me I'm, I'm i'm the like the shine like you know light shines out their asses kind of like blind faith sort of fan and that's probably annoying as well but like i don't like this kind of seemingly impartial pundits and commentators and journalists trying to seem professional but also give out about it because it was just it was a bit sad by the end of it you know one little comment was enough you didn't need a 20 minute special about it yeah um it was just you mentioned that indo article so we were asked on twitter last week to talk about it all i'll say is this we're not going to mention who it was or anything like that don't and I've been guilty of this don't tweet about it don't retweet it don't like it don't talk about it and it'll go away simple as that because that's what they want they want the rage tweets they want all that because that drives up readership so the best thing you can do is just ignore it but that's enough I don't want to talk about it anymore um, yeah I agree like we, we poke fun at some of the t- t- Twitter pages that were doing it that one you mentioned with the threads it was like again it was the same thing it was like referee didn't cost this game but here's 12 tweets that I made gifs of showing things that the ref did poorly it's like so you know you obviously care look we i hate criticizing referees and i hate when we do it too because i've seen when other people do it it looks so sad and that's what i think we look like when we talk about it but it's going to happen unfortunately it's part of the human aspect of the game and that's what it is but we try not to do it too much but we'll move on to aina's question aina come in with the regular listener aina um the first question is a rhetorical question. <laughs> Who's the most underrated and underappreciated scrum half in the country? And why is it Marmion? Uh, I know Anna is a big Marmion fan. and Marmion was fantastic the weekend. And I think him having Blade there pushing him on it has been fantastic. But his actual question is, if any other non-Connacht 9 dropped the ball on Healy like that, is this bitter and unprofessional nonsense even a thing? So Ian's kind of angling is that is it just because it's Marmion? I don't think it is, Westy. Do you think it's just because it's Marmion or is it just because? I, I don't think it's just because it's Marmion. I think if anybody did it, like everybody would kind of tot at it if any scrum half did it. I think it's probably still being talked about because it's Marmion um, and people see him as having a kind of, you know, maybe been a bit sour about not being in the Ireland squad, which I don't think he is. I think he's, you know, he had bad form of injuries and I think this year he's been working up to a really good quality and I, I would be surprised if he's not called on for Ireland again but as you say it's a great accomplishment with him and Blade um, but no I don't think it's overly directed at him personally I think even me and I, I'd say Sam as well who are really biased can admit like that's a pretty stupid thing to do like you've got to try like he's you know you can already rub that in his face you don't have to throw the ball at him um, but maybe it's again one of those things that has been now loaded, loaded against Connacht because it was such an out of control game and the ref had no control and Connacht got away with so much even though it led to a penalty kickoff which is a pretty good punishment yeah um, by the way Sam I think we've talked about this if Craig Casey had the game that Marmion had the Irish media would have wet itself like they would have been so happy like why why is it with Marmion that he does tend to get overlooked I don't know like I'm sick to tired of saying it. Like Casey is a great player, lots of potential, but we're in Ireland. We have this weird obsession with making 21 year olds into stars. Whereas like rugby players mature at 24, 25, you know, Sexton was in the Irish team kind of getting towards 26. Like you don't need to be the be all and end all at 21. Casey should be allowed to grow. And like the same way, like blade is a couple of years older than blade regularly has games like that. doesn't get talked about. It happens all the time. 
I'm not taking it away from Casey, but there was a noticeable difference when uh, Murray came on. I thought Murray was probably the player, like the best player on the pitch when he came on. Unfortunately, the rest of his team kind of weren't up to the same standard he was because I thought he was running it very well. But if Casey had the game like Marmion had, yeah, you'd be like fast track him in for the Italy game, all this sort of ongoing narrative. I think Marmion plays like that more often than not. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I'm, I'm blue in the face saying it. I genuinely think that all of them playing on form to their best of their ability, taking match-winning goal kicks away from them. I think Marmion is the second best scrum half in the country behind Conor Murray. And Conor Murray had two years of not playing to his own standards. And during that time, I think Marmion was the best scrum half in the country, but he just doesn't kick winners. So he's not a headline scrum half and he doesn't necessarily play with a team that wins all the time. So he's not getting the headlines as much, but I thought he was criminally left out of that Ireland squad. And it was funny. It was the first time I've ever heard the mainstream media talk about a Connacht player being criminally left out of the Ireland squad. And there was like people like Brian O'Driscoll actually stepping up and saying Marmion should have been in ahead of Luke McGrath, which I was very taken aback by because I didn't think he'd ever side on that, but no, I think he, I think he's, he's so consistent. He's such a good player. And this competition with blade at the moment is just bringing the best out of him after a tough year with injuries. It's not sour grapes the way people want to put it. He's, he's just playing back into form. He's trying to get back to form. Unfortunately for him, that moment with Healy, that was a weird moment because that happens a lot. Like you said earlier, Smurf and players should be allowed to react to it because it, it's, there's no need for it. The unfortunate thing for Marmion is he reacts to probably the softest example of that happening. Like Dane Coles flies in, studs up and hits people and people don't react and it gets talked about and nothing happens. But, you know, Healy really was very, very soft version of that happening. If Healy had done it the way some players do do it and hit him properly and actually hurt him, I think the conversation would have been like, yeah, Marmion had every right to do it. But because it was so soft, it actually looked like Marmion reacted to something that he thought was happening as opposed to did happen. Uh, and that's just unfortunate. And it was a, the slightest little black smudge on a brilliant, brilliant performance. He's so he like he thinks two two moves ahead of most of the pitch. Like Marmy is such such a smart rugby player, and it probably is unfortunately not appreciated enough because he plays for Connacht, and sometimes his players can't keep up with him. Agreed. Uh, the last question comes in from Kenny, which is fantastic, and then we laugh out loud. Sam, you'll appreciate this. Wesley, it's a soccer question, so I don't know if you'll uh, get it. But uh, now that Leinster won the FA Cup after winning the league in 2016, are Connacht destined to lift the the Rainbow Cup? <laughs> I think so. I I like that. That's good. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Wesley, do you get that? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Leicester, uh, they play soccer in England, Westy. So that's just to give you some backdrop. Yeah, uh, no, the but, year the year they won, we won the Pro Twelve. Yeah, yeah well, I remember yeah, stuff. Well, 2016. So the Rainbow Cup is now the FA Cup. So is it going to become a yearly thing? And every year we're going to have to hear the commentators talk about how the, there's magic about it. And you try telling those fans it doesn't matter because that's most of what happens at FA Cup games. <laughs> and the teams, the teams don't care anymore either. So uh, thanks to everyone who tweeted in questions. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll try and do that more often when it comes to podcasts because um, we always get questions. So, But we'll move on to Leinster before versus we, Ulster. Before Sorry, we move on, can we just mention Stephen Fitzgerald? Sorry, of oh, course, man. I forgot. Thank you, Weston. Um, yes, the sad news today that he would have to retire at the end of the year due to injury. I think it was a horrific knee injury, wasn't it? And several surgeries. Yes, um, surgeries that, over the last two years. So, 25-year-old uh, came from Munster and uh, played, I think it was 19 times, was it? I don't know the exact stats on his I think tonic, it was. But he was. he looked very good in a few games a couple of years ago and I remember kind of thinking the two of them coming through he was the older and I remember thinking Jesus the, himself and his younger brother now both look quite 
comfortable. It was around about the time when uh, Carty wasn't in the team because he was off form after the World Cup. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, Connor, Stephen looked like the right jobs and he came so, so highly rated. So I was getting very excited about him. Such, such devastatingly unfortunate news. And it just shows the kind of, it shows the, the reasoning behind Aquin Roux going off if he does end up going to France or something, getting a paycheck towards the end of his career because you deserve it and because you don't know how long a rugby career can last. You know, if you have a good rugby career, you're retired by 36. And that that's you wouldn't say that about any other job in the world. So, you know, it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's very, very sad. We wish him all the best. Uh, it's annoying now that he didn't get a send-off at all this season. It's it's kind of just a trying to get back to fitness and then kind of finding out that you just were ne- are never going to is not an easy way to go. Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Wesley, for uh, reminding us. I appreciate that. Uh, Wesley, do you want to say anything about that, or are you good? Well, just, yeah, just to kind of echo what Sam said, it's, uh, for a young lad, 25, like he, he probably would be coming into the peak of his powers in the next two or three years if he got a bit of consistent game time. I think we saw a lot of promise from him, but again, probably didn't see enough back-to-back games to see him get to that potential that he could have. And it's just an awful way to go after, you know, the guts of a year out injured. But no, sorry, more than a year out injured. Um and multiple surgeries and just to, to be told that you can't come back out like it's it's awful for the young lad but you know he's clearly a fierce competitor he's clearly a you know a winner like he, he'll succeed no matter what he does i'm sure yeah exactly we wish him the best of luck whatever he does next um we will move on now to lancer ulster lancer coming out on top 21.17 the result the scoreline looks a bit closer than actually probably the game was but first of all great to see caelan doris back on a rubber pitch it's been a, a good few months now out um, so it was fantastic to see him back. But Westy, the Irish, the Irish eight jersey, which was his without doubt when he last uh, played, it's a lot different now. The, the outlook is a lot different for that eight jersey, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Considering the fact that uh, Jack Conan is now a lion um, and managed to show exactly why he's a lion in in that game, you know, a lovely little break, some lovely little step. Um, you know, a big guy with that kind of pace and 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 skill is is very useful. I'm not saying at all that you know Doris. Darius will be back in an Ireland jersey for the summer, I'm sure. So that will be his kind of challenge now will be to get consistent game time, get back to back and remind everybody why he was brought up to the Ireland squad at such a young age, you know? The game, two strong kind of teams named out. Leinster definitely very strong. Um, but also kind of applying all the pressure in the first 15 minutes, but just couldn't break through that final kind of line of defence by Leinster. Eventually breaking through sort of 18th minute with a lovely try. Nick Timoney, Stockdale and Balakoon all involved. But we've seen this throughout the year now, Sam, and we've seen it with several teams sort of outplay Leinster in the first half for large majority of the game, or for large majority of the half, and yet at halftime it's always the same score or they're only three points ahead after all the pressure. And is it has to be so disheartening for these teams. Yeah, and even even like Connacht two weeks ago when we got 16 points up and you think, okay, yeah, now, now we're putting the foot in the throat and you just don't... They, uh, Leinster players are all not just brilliant rugby players, but they're also really intelligent rugby players and they can work their way back into a game. You know, there's there's a rugby intelligence that some players who are physically very gifted don't have. And it's the ability to adapt and work their way back into a game and just keep doing things over and over and over. And it might seem monotonous. I don't think Leinster are a particularly beautiful team to watch. I'm never overly like, oh yeah, the Leinster game. Whereas I'm always up for watching the Ulster game. But what they do is, they're so clinical and they're so attritional. I remember hearing a stat there was they scored five tries out of six trips to the 22 in a game. Like that, that's just clinical. That's just, you get within five meters and then you're going to score. They're just going to grind you down and do it. And that's what they can do. And, 
you know, I think part and parcel of the reason why Ulster weren't allowed anything was there was a rejuvenated James Ryan there and he really stepped up and that's the most impressed with him I've been in good well over a year at this stage uh, 29 tackles I think I read so you know that sort of chip in the shoulder between himself Ringrose really looks like he has a bit of a chip in the shoulder after the supposed Lions snub uh, I'm not sure if he'd get into my Lions team if even if there was an injury in the centre but they're, they're, they're two players that led by example and you know stopped Ulster capitalising on some good play uh, and it just made it too difficult to kind of too difficult to break down it always just seems like they have an extra man or two in the defensive line I don't know like you know we talked earlier about Munster constantly going for good jackal threats I don't think Leinster really try and turn the ball over too much I think that they just wait for you to make a mistake and they just grind you down by being a brick wall and they don't really commit too many to the rook and they fan out and they just make it impossible to play through yeah, it was. They they definitely do. Yeah, they, they as you say, they always seem to have someone extra there to defend. Um, I thought Ryan Baird was fantastic as well. Like for a lad of his age and still has a lot of size to put on, he was so physical in tackling. It was incredible. But the big talking point, obviously, of the first half, Westy was uh, Henshaw's tackle on Balakoon. Uh, it was first of all the fact that this had to be a captain's challenge and not just checked by the TMO is ridiculous in the first place. But Westy, do you want to like? So it was given as no no foul play. There is no direct contact from Henshaw's shoulder to Balakun's head, but it's it's a dangerous tackle, isn't it? And it's 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 not a good st- example to set. Yeah, the, the, the like you said, hit the nail on the head there. The fact that it went to a captain's challenge or a captain's referral, whatever it's called, is is a joke. Like if if T if TMOs are supposed to be referring this stuff anyway, how something like this isn't looked at? You know, I have no idea. Um. I think you're right in that, like, okay, there's no action, nothing in the letter of law because there isn't contact with the head. But I think that is highlights exactly why the letter of law has to change. Like, the whole point is to lower the uh, body position of the tackler. That's why we're giving players these, uh, that's why we've made it stricter and players are getting red cards. Now, even if a player dips, you're still at risk of a red card if you haven't made enough of an effort to dip. So I don't see how you can then not give uh, a card to a player who, tackles upright and the only reason he doesn't make head contact is because the other guy is slightly taller than him like I understand things are going to happen in a pitch where players are falling and you're standing upright and you kind of maybe go to catch them or wrap them or something and you know we, we can look at things in open play and you know make intelligent decisions I'm not saying every time a player is standing upright and he gets hit then it's going to be a yellow card but I do think this should open the door to a more serious conversation and that what are we actually looking at it shouldn't take a young lad like Balakum to get a HIA to be concussed and out for a month and, you know, potentially worse um, for us to take a look at the actual tackles before they happen. This is a great learning experience for young lads where you say, look, he may not have hit him in the head, but he was in the wrong position, so he still got punished. Like, it's not about you gave a concussion, so now I'm giving you a red card. Now it's even. It's, the whole point of these cards is to correct behavior. And you're not going to correct behavior if you just wait for every worst case scenario to happen. That said, I love Henshaw. I need a great game. I don't have nothing against him, personally, in this context. But it's just it's yeah, the, this is the problem. It's a it's a it's it's a terrible tackle technique. But it was a fantastic it was a fantastic hit. It stopped a potential try. Like this is the problem as well is that the fact that it was unpunished because it stops a potential try, uh, and Henshaw isn't out to do anything malice, obviously. But it's not the right technique. He had to go off for a HIA himself, Henshaw, due to that tackle, which should really say it all. But um. Sam, what's your kind of viewpoint on it? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that there is no 
wording in the law that would be pun- allow this to be punishable because I think the only reason he doesn't make contact with the head or the neck area is complete and utter luck. Uh, the the tackling technique is what is supposed to change because of the law. You know, the, the whole idea of that dominant stand-up tackle is supposed to be changing due to the fact you might get a red card for hitting the head. And, you know, after it happens a few times, you'll change your technique. And unfortunately, because this one didn't, it's not going to motivate him to change his technique. It was a dominant tackle. And before it was looked back at, a couple of people were saying, oh, it was a brilliant tackle. And yeah, it was dominant. And yeah, it was, but it was reckless and it was dangerous. And I think that the only reason he didn't connect with Balakun is because Balakun happens to be slightly taller than him. I don't think that came into his consideration in his tackling technique. And I think it needs to be looked at. And the law is there to try and change the technique, but the law isn't going to change the technique unless it gets rid of that reckless, dangerous the fact that it didn't hit his head was lucky kind of thing. And outside of that, brilliant. And outside of that, I think Henshaw is probably the best defensive center in the Northern Hemisphere, potentially one of the top in the world. But I think that that tackle was reckless and dangerous. And I think the fact he wasn't punished is complete and utter luck, not good technique. Uh, Good technique can be unlucky. and You can be punished for unlucky. But I think in this manner, he managed to not be punished for being lucky. Yeah, I think uh, Kino on Twitter said that they need to change the law a bit, lower the hitting area, basically, because at the moment, I believe it's shoulder down, right? Yeah. So I think he was saying to move it to maybe just upper chest and down, uh, and therefore that would have been a high tackle, and that would have changed the thing as well. Because... If you introduced if you introduced potentially a for a year or two until it became kind of part and parcel of how people do it, every jersey had to have a tackle area line integrated into the design of the jersey or something because the moment unfortunately head and neck are easily identifiable and shoulder is easily identifiable but you get to the stage where it's like in in soccer with the offside rule where sleeve has to be used because it's the only identifiable thing you can't pick nipple because everyone's nipples are all over the place and everyone's different heights and people have bigger chests and stuff so if you did bring it in where there was like you know part and parcel of your uniform or part and parcel of your jersey was having an integrated tackle line on it the way, you know, Canterbury used to do it all the time. They used to have two-tone stuff all the time. If you could integrate that into the design of Jersey for, let's say, five years to change the tackle technique and to allow to help the TMOs with it, that might be something they could do. But until you did something like that, I think the chest is too vague a term. Chest is anywhere up here, up as far as the bottom of your neck. And then when you're saying it's neck, like that's, it's very hard and it is very up to the letter of the law and it is very kind of, interpretable and that's how Henschel's gotten away with it this time. Smurf, I think if you lower the tackle range to like under the arms, there's only one place we're going and it's Offload City. Hmm. Offload City! Thank God someone said it, Westy. I, I, I like to get that into at least once every podcast. Uh, but no, you're saying there about the neck being, you know, some people have longer necks. Camille Shat would never <laughs> get ta- never be high tackled. That man has the longest neck in the world. Um a few we'll talk about the positives for Ulster Westy Madigan come on actually had a great impact as well I thought Henderson was fantastic he was playing like a pissed off player after that TMO call or after the HIA incident with Henshaw um, and he was fantastic too I thought Nick Timoney you know had a great game Balakoon Stockdale all had uh, had glimmering uh, parts but Ulster now zero from three in the Rainbow Cup they had a, a disappointing exit from Europe it's not been a great few weeks for Ulster with two games remaining, what are we expecting from Ulster? Are they just going to try out the kids or are they going to try and regain a bit of form to end the season? I I feel like they've been on downward spiral since the, I said it, that the yeah, Challenge Cup was theirs to lose, so I apologise. I, I told you at the time they'd come after you for that. Uh, 
deserve uh, it. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't think. I don't think at this point you can kind of just throw out the young lads and say season's over. Um, I think there's definitely. I think there's still a bit of pride at stake, and I hope that there is pride at stake because if it's not pride at stake, then that just highlights what everyone's saying about the competition being useless. Like you know, it's it's only useless if we all agree it's useless. You know, and like as Sam said, the media kind of saying that doesn't really help anybody. Um, I think I think they I think they need to keep going with a blend of experience, right? I mean, I think Dave Shannon had a good game, but at the end of the day, he's their third string scrum half. Um, they've fallen a bit down the ranks. People like Billy Burns maybe need a bit more time to kind of find form again. Um, they do need to solidify who their age should be. Although I do think Sean Reedy had a pretty good game. I think he could do a big job for them at eight. Um, I said Nick Timoney's quite strong as well. But yeah, I think I, I think everybody wants to finish the season on a high. I don't think you want to go out with a whimper. I think they need to kind of finish with a bang now, even if their last game is, I don't know, who is it, Zebra or something? I I don't know. I can find out, but I don't know. Yeah, so I think I think it, there there should be and still is pride at stake for Ulster, and I don't think they're gonna give up. I think they're in a similar position to us, although they're slightly better off, in that they're still building depth. So good rotation in the next few games can put them in a good spot. And then look, it, it is it's an amazingly long season when you look back at it. But um, you know, two or three more weeks of you know mixing the old with the young is, is probably the best way forward for them. Yeah, the last game is Edinburgh uh, away. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, no easy fixtures left, that's for sure. But um, Sam, looking back on ultra season, though, a lot of positives, mostly positive. You know, coming second in you know a very competitive uh, conference behind Leinster, pushing them the whole way, um, getting to a semi final in Europe, and probably should have won that game. There's a lot of positives to take. Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, quite like how I was criticised uh, by Paul, Paul Boyle for saying, you know, being happy, being close to it, you know, and, and falling short and trying trying to kind of use that as motivation and being the underdog. I think Ulster should do that with this season. I think that this season was a brilliant step in terms of their development depth. Uh, you know, they, they have such a strong strength and depth, you know, no one's ever going to be able to rival Leinster for strength and depth, but they're definitely the second strongest on the island in terms of the amount of good young players they have coming through that at, you wouldn't kind of bat your eyes at or turn your nose up towards starting. So I think that was the po- the main positive that came out of the season was that they developed that through kind of necessity and also through smartly bringing players in one at a time, two at a time. Uh, coming second without the playoff makes it seem worse than it was. If there was a playoff and there was a semi-final, everyone goes, geez, we got to a semi-final, that's great. The Leicester result will grind them, that will really get to them. And that is probably the the, the downside to the entire season. And the pro or the whatever you want to call it, the Northern Hemisphere Pro 14 Rainbow Cup Limited or whatever it's called, uh, they, they'll, they'll probably just want to forget about it. I don't think that they can pack it in right now. There's two games to get there. There's two games to continue to rotate players. They've been smart about doing it all season and they continue to do it at the weekend. So I think that they should do continue on for that. But I don't think if they even lost that, it would be too much of a dampener on the season, which I think overly in the league when it mattered was positive. The Challenge Cup, they put up a bit of a fight and they probably feel a bit aggrieved by it and use that as motivation next year. I think all the provinces have actually used the Rainbow Cup really smartly to integrate a lot of youth. You look at the Connacht team that started the last day and the Munster team that started the last day. There was probably about nine, eight or nine first team players mixed with six or seven, uh, what you call reserves or sub players on both teams. And it was brilliant to see. And same with this like Ulster team. You're looking at players getting a lot of game time this season, a lot of young players coming through, and that's only going to help them in the long run. So 
I wouldn't be too upset about the season. I think that the Challenge Cup defeat to Leicester in the manner in which it happened will probably be the thing that sticks with them over the summer and they'll use as motivation to try and drive on next season. Um, we'll finish on the Southern Hemisphere kind of competitions. We're not going to go into too depth because there's too many games, but Australian teams got an absolute hammering, apart from Western Force, who put up a somewhat of a decent fight. Westy, is it too much to read into that in, after week one, or is it just a, a coincidence that the Australian teams, got all of them got bet? Oh, I don't know if it could be a coincidence, really. I mean, Bromley's were pretty close as well. I think that came down to the last kick. I think the unfortunate kind of headline from the and I'll, I'll caveat this in a second but the unfortunate headline from the tournament is that first game out Highlanders who were mid-table to bottom of Super Rugby Arturoa come out and beat the um, champions you know and okay and even Highlanders are still you know Donald Shannon Frizzell they're missing a few players like it's not necessarily strong it's outfit now I will say the finals were the weekend before and of course Reds are in them and I do think that the Reds Brumbies final was much more attritional than the Super Rugby Arturoa final. So you are seeing a bit of a kind of recovery phase for them, I think. But it 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 doesn't look great, Stephen, to be honest with you. And it, do you know what? The, I was thinking about it earlier today. And, you know, I have a busy weekend. I was like, Jesus, will I find time to watch that now? Do you know, like I want to find time to watch it this weekend or I take a break from it. So I think that's now I will. I caught myself. I was like, I oh, know I watch as much of it as I can as I always do. But uh, do you know, I found that thought creeping in where you're like, ah. The Kiwis have it here, don't they? Like, <laughs> yeah. The most disappointing headline actually was Westy was the Hurricanes won. That was the most <laughs> disappointing. Sam, talk about the Hurricanes. Keep it under fifteen minutes, possibly, please. Keep it under seventy, as in like the Hurricanes only got sixty-four points. Uh, seventeen tries. Like people can be as snobby about the Southern Hemisphere as they want and talk about you know all no defense and all this sort of stuff. If you're trying to market the sport for foreign investment or for growing and expanding the viewership games with 17 tries are far more enjoyable than six, three wins in a rainy sports ground. I'm just saying like that, that game was a cracker because there was a lot of missed tackles, which allowed a lot of good open play. It's one of the reasons a lot of American football aficionados will watch college ball over NFL is because there are mistakes. It's not so precision and mistakes allow for a more expansive game. So I was chuffed for Canes to really get going. And uh, from a New Zealand rugby point of view, Julian Savea playing well is good news. And that was that was kind of the comeback. He, he's played a few games this season and kind of threatened to get going. And that was really, that was him in full boss mode. So I'm not going to lie, Sam. When I first realized the strategy was to only have one Savea play, uh, brother play well at a time, I didn't see what you were building to, but I get it now. Yeah, it's it's smart. It's smart. But uh oh, Chess this... not checkers, Westy. Chess not checkers. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was some good games. Westy made Westy made the point, you know, like the Highlanders beating the Reds. That that's unfortunate. Highlanders played a weird game that game though. Like it was it was the least super rugby yards row of all the games, and that's kind of the way they've been all season. It was it was a bit more kicking for territory and stuff, and the Reds definitely were just tired after it. I think that the the competition will grow, continue to grow, and I hope that this becomes the annual super rugby to replace what was the super rugby with south africa in it uh you know because you've got the two teams the uh pacific island teams coming into it in the long run as well next year the year after so i i hope the trans tasman is the new format because it does like super rugby arturo is enjoyable but you know the same five teams week in week out it's like a european super league in soccer it will get boring so if you're playing if you've got the 10 12 teams that that'll be a far more enjoyable tournament after week one, Australian teams are at the bottom five. I don't think it'll finish like that. I think it'll be a good mix. I still think Crusaders will walk it. 
But I think, you know, you could have Reds up close, you could have Brumbies up close as well. I think that it's still up for a bit of debate. Oh yeah, the Hurricanes will come back down to the bottom of the table where they belong. Uh, oh yeah, sure. of course. Hurricanes <laughs> want a dogfight, man. <laughs> yeah, they don't want it easy. It was um, typical that as soon as Rob Carney came back, four started losing again. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> great Let it go, Westy. It's been over a year now. It was it's a big, okay. There was a beautiful blast from the past in the Blues game as well. Uh, Stacey Illy, former Connick player playing for Melbourne Rebels. Like I like catching up with Connick players. You see them, the odd time players that played for us popping up all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, for Western Force, Kyle Godwin's captain of them this season. And then I just saw that Noella Dwai, who scored the winner against uh, Wasps, it, when John Muldoon pulled the wool over the ref's eyes and told him that the new laws had come into play and the ref said, OK. And he, he touched it down for the try that uh, Cardi converted. He was playing for the Seawolves the other day uh, as well in the MLR. So I like seeing the former Connacht players showing up around the place. It kind of it gets me a little bit more invested in teams. Yeah, as well. I just want to highlight, Squidge's tweet was funny during the week. He was saying, like, when Hoskins, the two who realises he's the best player in the world, we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was quite good, too, because the man is incredible. But Oh, that basketball uh, pass was beautiful. Yeah, he's a... And to think player. Andy Friend said we had him, we had him signed. We ne- no, they, they, yeah, they never, he never said that they, they were close to signing him. They just identified him. That's not what I heard. Uh, yeah exactly yeah uh we'll wrap it up there boys i appreciate it as always we'll be back uh next week i'm sure um for those who like to uh, listen to the basketball podcast they'll be starting back up again now that the playoffs are, are commencing this evening uh so keep an eye out for them later this week or early next week so boys appreciate it as always and we'll do it again next week Chat to you then. bye